This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, it's Addictive Eaters Anonymous On Air. Welcome to Addictive Eaters Anonymous on Air, here on Plains FM. My name's Louise and I'm an addictive eater and the host of this show. This is an opportunity to share with you about how Addictive Eaters Anonymous works and to talk with an addictive eater who will share their experience of recovery from addictive eating. Well, how does AEA work? Sobriety in AEA is freedom from addictive eating and or mind-altering substances. AEA members achieve sobriety by sharing their experience, strength and hope with each other and living the 12-step program of recovery as a way of life by regular attendance at meetings, getting a sponsor, working the steps, keeping in contact with sober members and carrying the message of recovery. Members are freed from addictive eating and the obsession with food. At the heart of the AEA program is the spiritual concept of surrender. I'm here with Kay and she's a, an addictive eater and a member of Addictive Eaters Anonymous here in Christchurch. Welcome Kay. Thanks Louise, nice mm. to be here. So when I think about you, Kay, it always makes me smile when I think about how you were overweight as a child and what a great mystery that was in your family and of course you knew exactly what was going on so what was going on well basically Louise I was eating in secret and you know my mother obviously is not an addictive eater and she it never would have occurred to her in a million years that you know I was eating things that she didn't know about uh, but that was the story of my life, right from a very, very early like early age. Uh, the disease manifested in me very, very young. And, you know, from a very early age I was taking food out of the tins that mum didn't know about in a very sly way and uh, taking money out of her purse and going down to the shops and uh, buying food that she didn't know about and storing them in my drawers and eating them at night. And, you know, gradually that showed on my body and, you know, the case mysterious weight. And uh, she started taking me to the doctor. You know, I certainly never said that I was eating a whole lot of food that she didn't know about. It was, it was a mystery. So you were growing up in this family who essentially no, no one else was eating like you. So... Did you ever think to yourself, no one else is eating like me, this is a little unusual, or you just completely accepted that it was just how you were? Oh, yeah, no, it was very obvious to me, really quite, quite young, that I was very different to my family and to other people. When I went to children's birthday parties as a primary school child, 
I would be standing at the table eating the food and you know eventually all the other children would go off to play and I just couldn't understand it because there was still food on the table so you know I was just standing there until eating it until someone told me not to and I you know I knew that was very different and I could see in my family he was just my brother and my parents but I could see that I was very different to them because when we had a meal I could see they seemed to be satisfied and and that was it and they weren't still thinking about eating but for me it didn't matter if I just had a massive meal uh, I would still want to eat more and I could see that was very different and so did that have an impact on your relationships at school was it something that affected your ability to be with other kids your age and and sort of mingle and would somebody from the outside looking in have seen that you were different? No, I don't think it really would have been obvious to other people because, you know, they wouldn't have known what was going on in my head. But uh, friends, other people weren't really all that big in my life. Food was the, the big thing all the way through with me. Same with family outings. The big point of family outings was stopping for an ice cream you know if if food wasn't involved in family outings I wasn't interested in going friends yeah if they weren't we weren't doing things with with food I wasn't interested in playing with them and my friend that I walked home with from school I had a little bit of money if I'd got some money from somewhere I'd uh, deliberately uh, have an argument with her during the day so that we'd fallen out so that we weren't walking home together because I knew I was going to the shops on the way home to buy some lollies and there was no way that I was going to share them with her. Amazing how the food is above everything else in the thinking. All my growing up years, it was the big thing. Yeah. And so what was your relationship with your body like? Because, of course, if you were putting on weight, were you starting to think, I'm going to have to diet or... Were you accepting that you were looking big? Yeah, I absolutely hated myself. Um, I I wanted somebody else's body. I didn't want mine. And, you know, that was always my big focus, always my focus. And eventually I talked mum into letting me go to a weight loss club, which was kilo club, which was counting calories, And even when I was there, even though we were all there for the same reason of wanting to lose weight, I still felt I was different. Uh, This feeling of being different that I always had. Because they would talk at the meetings about having a little thing off their plan. They'd have an extra piece of bread or a chocolate biscuit. And I knew that I had to stick to my plan completely perfectly, rigidly, that if I had one thing off it, I couldn't have an extra slice of bread, I couldn't have an extra apple, uh, that that would set me off and that I would start eating and not be able to stop. And, you know, that wasn't what the other people at Kilo Club were saying. So, you know, I just felt I'd been born differently from everyone in the world. And do you think that is essentially the difference between someone who's maybe a big eater or eats too much perhaps and someone who's an addictive eater is that any th- it's any type of food it's not just that you liked chocolate or you liked ice cream it was anything that would set you off yes well for me the big 
red herring with myself and probably with addictive eaters in general was the weight and you know an addictive eater doesn't have to be overweight and an overweight person doesn't have to be an addictive eater you know the weight is just one of the symptoms is what what is wrong with us you know what is what was wrong with me what is wrong with me I, I do not have the weight symptom today completely normal weight but I'm still an addictive eater so even though that particular symptom is not has been removed the problem is still there so yes it's really it's nothing to do with the weight the addiction you know it's like exactly like an alcoholic being drunk being drunk isn't the problem the problem is the alcoholism and for me the problem is addiction I am an addict I'm a total addict and at times in my active addiction I was overweight other times I wasn't so what was it then was it the the thinking that made you reach out and try and find some sort of solution other than a weight loss club was it that what was going on in your head was it that the food was just becoming such a burden I mean what was the sort of trigger for you I actually didn't realize there was anything wrong with my head (laughs) it's only in looking back that I can see how very obvious it was that the problem was my thinking that is why I ate that I was always eating because I was always wanting to eat. I woke up in the morning wanting to eat. So the problem was actually in my head. It wasn't in my body. But I spent my whole eating career focusing on my body. And I never got round to my head. And that is different to many addictive eaters in Addictive Eaters Anonymous. You know, other people worked out that they had a problem with their thinking. Uh, and they tried lots of different things to do something about that. But uh, I didn't. I just... Uh, wait. Uh, Keto Club was really the only thing I had tried. And I wasn't looking for a solution because I didn't think there was one. So uh, I just thought I'd have to accept being this way all my life, although I wasn't actually staying the same. I was getting worse, uh, which was a worry to me. But I just thought I'd have to try and stack it through life as best I could until, you know, eventually I could be old and left on my own and I could just eat all I wanted to and everyone would leave me to it. (laughs) You were relatively young when you actually came into a 12-step fellowship Mm. and so you hadn't tried many things Mm -hmm. and of course other people come in, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Do you have any insight into why you might have come in so quickly whilst others perhaps take decades to discover that you know they need to get to that point of desperation well although I was young as I say the disease did manifest in me very young and it progressed very quickly I believe Um, I hear other addictive eaters stories and I think possibly the progression of their disease was slower Uh, mine was very fast I came in because I read an article in a magazine. It was an Australian magazine, Are You a Food Addict? And, well, it just seemed to talk about people like me. And uh, it was through that article that eventually I came into a 12-step fellowship for food. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know, Louise. I think I just I happened to find the solution very early on. I had, uh, although I hadn't tried a lot of things, I absolutely and utterly knew that it didn't matter if I did, they wouldn't work. I just knew, basically we say that we're beyond human aid, and I, I just knew that I was beyond human aid. And the thing about the people in Addictive Eaters Anonymous, they just seemed to be exactly like me. You know, they ate like me, and they thought about food all the time like me, and I had never, ever come across anyone in my life before like that. And for me, that was massive. It was absolutely massive. These people just seemed to know what it was like uh, to be me. And it was really, I didn't understand anything about the solution, the, the program of recovery, but it was that that kept me coming back, that identification with other addictive eaters. And so you've got, you know, a lot of years in recovery. What, what would you, what's a, a praise or, or a, a little summary of what you've had to do? since you came in to be where you are now which is I presume living a life totally different from the life Mm. you had then I I absolutely never would have imagined the life that I've got today when I came in it it wasn't what I was coming in for I I suppose I I hoped to lose weight (laughs) definitely that was still my big focus when I came in but I, I had no awareness of the freedom of from food you know the mental freedom that was possible and when I came in and uh, you know started to get serious about the program I completely abandoned myself to it I really really did you know 110% because I ate all the time definitely if I couldn't get the food I was certainly thinking about it all the time so I couldn't just have a little solution that was you know a meeting once a week and you know I'm right now it had to be it was a massive problem and it needed a massive solution and I needed to throw myself into it and that was what I did I I went to a, a tremendous amount of meetings I'm also an alcoholic I found that out in recovery and I had to go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for that addiction, and uh, plus with my food addiction and all the meetings for that. And that even with a lot of meetings in between, I did a lot of talking to other addictive eaters on the phone. I just needed a lot of contact, trying to help others, when eventually I started to get well myself, trying to pass it on to other people, trying to you know, spend time... Um, connecting with a higher power the higher power that gives me the strength not to eat you know it was just a lot it took a lot you know it it did take a lot Uh, and I actually just thought that was going to be my my life from then on but as the years have gone by even though I still obviously need to do all those things I I do them in a much less intense way (laughs) I think I am a much nicer person to live with and and of course 
through my recovery. My life has opened up and, you know, I've had my own family, uh, you know, my own children and now a grandchild and uh, just a huge life has opened up, you know, as a result of my recovery. So was it a struggle with your husband and your small children fitting the program in? It sounds like the program was enormous, but of course... You know, bringing up children is also time-consuming. You know, being a, a a wife, how did you squeeze it all in? How did you prioritize? Well, uh, yeah, it it wasn't easy for me. Certainly, me. You know, in my mind, the program had to come first because, you know, my whole life depended on it. I knew that if I went back eating, I would lose the life that I was gaining because once again the food would just take over everything as it had done in my growing up years. So I knew that that had to come first. But gradually, through putting that first, everything else just started fitting into place. It really did. It was just, you know, because it didn't all happen at once. It's a daily program and the days add up. And, you know, gradually my, my life evolved into what it is today. But always, for me, that the program had to come first and then everything else came along behind. Mm. So there's quite a few components to the program. The, the steps and having a sponsor, helping others. Is there anything that particularly you see as something that you really love and embrace more than other aspects? Or, or do you think it just all works together? Yes, I think it just all, yeah, it all works together. I mean, I was never a great people person because of the eating made sure that I wasn't. The eating was the dominant thing. But gradually, through all the contact that I had in the early years with addictive eaters, that has sort of uh, spread into other areas of my life. So I think... I mean, I wouldn't call myself a social butterfly these days, but I'm much more able to be sociable in the world, within the family and wider family and, you know, our friends and and in the workplace. And that is nice to have have that in my life now. But, yeah, with the programme and the things I do to get well, they're all equally as important. They, They really are. Uh, you know, I still have a sponsor today, the same sponsor that I had when I first came in. Uh, I still spend a lot of time talking to other addictive eaters on the phone. I still go to plenty of meetings. Um, I probably, I do, I spend more time these days trying to I have a relationship with a higher power, pray, I meditate. Those are all things that have come along over the years. And, and for me, they definitely all work together. And I know... That is the way it needs to be for the rest of my life. You know, I absolutely know. It would be, you know, it's a long time now. It is a long time since I have eaten. You know, I have had more years of sobriety than I did eating now. And, you know, it would be easy to forget. It would be. But every time I have contact with another addictive eater, every time I go to a meeting, I remember, oh, yes, oh, yes, 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 this is definitely still me. Still an addictive eater, still only one bite away, helps just remind me what I need to keep doing.
and luckily for me I love doing it (laughs) Mm, a real bonus Mm, absolutely and so absolutely you know I love the practicality of the program with the spirituality of the program it all works so beautifully together Mm, but I love your story about you talk about meditation as a practice you do now and I know you always have had that conscious contact but the meditation is perhaps arrived a bit later Mm. and it took a bit of adversity actually to push you in the direction of meditation yes it It is in the program it's one of the steps it's the 11th step and you know I was very very hot and strong and still am about needing to work the 12 steps but the thing about the meditation part of it is that I never really persevered (laughs) Uh, I just it just seemed too hard I think today of the prayer as the talking to God and the meditation as the listening, well, I seem to be okay at the talking and I talk, talk, talk and so my prayers at one stage of my sobriety just got longer and longer. <laughs> but uh, I was never very good at the listening and yeah, it, just, I just, it just seemed too hard and, and my thoughts kept encroaching all the time. I thought, oh, I just can't do this and I'd shelve it again. But over the years, I did suffer with a lot of migraines for one reason or another, and, and I do think there were multiple reasons for them, but did get to a, a chronic place with them. And it, it was at that time that um, and a meditation meeting was starting in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I started going to it right at the time that I felt I'd reached the end with these migraines and didn't know what to do. Since that time, I have continued going to that meeting. Uh, you know, have started the practice in my own home, which going to the meeting has encouraged me to do. Yeah, I don't know. No migraines. <laughs> so uh, my mind has quietened down a lot from how it used to be. And try today, just to try and stay more in the present a lot of my migraine problem I believe was being out of the present and as soon as I get you know a bit of a headache oh my god I wonder if this is going to be a migraine (laughs) and oh I wonder how many days I'm going to have it for and how many days off work I'd have to have and it would build up rather than trying to reduce in size it would just take off and I'd be bedridden so it was really the migraines that encouraged me to persevere with the meditation. So I'm grateful for them today. I'm really grateful. It's, I'm a person that seems to be pushed along by pain. All sorts of different pain. It doesn't necessarily have to be physical pain, you know, emotional pain, whatever. But that that pushes me to do what I need to do. Mm. Yes, interesting that listening to God aspect. Yes, easy to do the talking, much, much harder to do the listening. Yes. Do you think it also means that you're better at listening to people? Has it become that? I don't know if it's come from the meditation necessarily. I I do think I'm a good listener. My experience of you is you're very good listener. Yeah, I think I'm a good listener, but then I've never been a big talker. So... I think it's hard to be a big talker and a big listener. (laughs) It's very tricky to do both at the same time. I think part of the being a good listener is being able to just be still and not have to jump in with words all the time. And I think that definitely comes from a higher power, just that ability just just to, to be 
and not to be having to do, whether it's with words or action, but just just to be, just to be still. Mm. So I guess we're at that part now, Kay, where I, I suppose I think about seeing people coming in and out of the fellowship for a long period of time. What do you see as the key for someone who might be out there and feeling like they do need something? What do they need to do? What What's the key to finding what they need? Well, I believe today the best thing I ever did was to come into fellowship and the next best thing I did right behind it was keeping on coming. <laughs> and... You know, that is the thing, I think. Come in, if you think you may have a problem, look for the similarities, because there are differences in, in all our stories. You know, there are many differences. I hear differences at every meeting, but I don't focus on those, because there are so, so many similarities. Uh, and just keep coming. They say to try six meetings. Well, you know, many, many people that I come and do not make it to six. <laughs> they leave after one or two. Just so sad because they've come through the doors for some reason. Just, you know, say, try and give it six. And then, but I'm so grateful for myself that I have kept coming. The people that I do see keep coming, they eventually get well. It might be not sooner, it might be a little later but people that stick to the programme that really, really want it really desperate and really want it I have seen them get well and it's just an absolute thrill Thank you so much Kay it's been so lovely getting a wee taste of what your recovery's been like, thank Thanks you so you, much Louise. Thanks for having me Quite alright If you have heard anything today which you've related to or would like to know more about us, please go to our website, www.aeanz.org. There are three meetings a week in Christchurch, as well as a monthly worldwide meeting on Zoom. A podcast of our show will be available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as the Plains FM website, plainsfm.org.nz. Our show goes out on the fourth Monday of each month at midday. Thank you for listening, and I trust you go well. Until we catch up next month on Addictive Eaters Anonymous on air, Plains FM 96.9.